This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show. Welcome to Friend of Maryland. My name is Kat Pauze, and this is a fat-friendly space. Today on Friend of Maryland, I reflect back on my academic year of fat of 2021. I chat with Susan Hill, a professor of religion, and I spotlight a piece from San Venzweden about being plus size and wearing clothes with radical joy. Before we get too far into the new year, I want to take a few moments to reflect on the year that's passed, um, 2020 part two, or as most people call it, 2021. It was an odd year for many of us. COVID-19 continued to keep us apart and afraid, while governments, especially in the global north, continued to throw fat people under the bus every chance uh, that they could. There were a few moments across the year of um, pushback against that. I think one of the most surprising was, I think it was in January or February of 2021, um, not a friend to fat people, Piers Morgan, actually called out the UK Work and Pension Secretary, uh, Teresa Coffey, on his morning show once she suggested that the reason that the death rates for COVID-19 in the UK were so high was because the country was, as she called it, too fat and too old. What we know is that anti-fat attitudes have shaped the experiences uh, for fat people around COVID, um, as well as non-fat people. There's a lot of misinformation out there, um, including, I think, one of the more ridiculous things I've ever seen of the study where they looked at fat cells not in a body, though, like just extracted fat cells, including some that have been extracted from corpses, to see the impact of COVID-19 on fat cells. And then they actually managed to publish it, like what happens in a fat cell in a Petri dish in a lab is um, of use or of meaning to us to have fat cells that are alive and active in our bodies. Anti-fat attitudes for sure shaped the experience for fat people being vaccinated, um, as many fat people were left wondering if they received a proper vaccination. What we know is that COVID-19, like other vaccinations like the flu, it's intramuscular, so it needs to be injected into the muscle. And so for a lot of fat people, that's going to mean a longer needle in order to get past the additional fat deposits in the arm between the injection site and, and the muscle itself. I know there's a lot of anxiety out there for a lot of fat people, and I do hope that each and every one of you received um, efficacious vaccinations. 
If I look beyond, though, the usual fat fuckery and especially the COVID-19 fat fuckery, there's definitely some things that we can celebrate about 2021. It was really great to see under the auspice of the new chair of NAFA, Tigris Osborne, NAFA has kind of come alive again in a lot of exciting ways, especially in online programming. They held a, a Fat Liberation Month in May of 2021. They did a series um, about COVID and fatness and a lot of other webinars uh, across the year, which were really exciting events that were available both to participate in, like to be part of as they happened, but that were also then made available um, to watch on demand afterwards, which was, I always especially appreciate living um where I do, because oftentimes the live things happen in the middle of the night for me. So I'm grateful to NAFA for those webinars. I hope that they continue to do that work in 2022. I do very much appreciate, though, that it takes a lot of work uh, to organize events like that. Some other great things, the Fat Besties Fat Activism Group up in Canada had a really great pushback about Obesity Canada's new obesity clinical practice guidelines. Uh, they wrote an open letter that they got signed um, by a lot uh, a lot of important people. They pointed out how many of the authors of the new guidelines made money uh, off the fat apocalypse, off the bellies of fat people. And they highlighted that the new guidelines were simply going to reproduce fat stigma and oppression. Um, the besties also noted <laughs> that uh, when guidelines like these are being put together, they very rarely have fat people involved, um, which is something that, of course, is always true in these situations. Very rarely do fat people get to speak for themselves. It's worth noting that um, the fat besties and just other fat activists in general have been labeled by this group, Obesity Canada, as obesity deniers, um, which, <laughs> you know, they, they give us these names. Like, I'll never forget, there was an Australian public health document in the early 2010s uh, that labeled us as defiant resistors um, without, I guess, appreciating that we would own that with pride um, and be quite happy to call ourselves defiant resistors of the eugenics that seek to get rid of us. Another exciting thing from 2021 is that this show, Friend of Marilyn, turned 10. Yay for Friend of Marilyn! Friend of Marilyn kicked off in August of 2011. Um, we're now over 300 shows and how two-thirds maybe a little over half of a world tour into the show. Um, and yeah, it's still going strong. I'm really proud of the show. I really appreciate everyone who helps make this show happen. And of course, uh, to all of you who are listening, I want to thank you for that as well. Uh, just a couple more quick shout outs of great things from last year. There was a Fat Studies conference held in Finland by Fat Studies scholar Hanalei Harjunen. It was called Thinking Fat Studies in the Nordics. Contextual and theoretical implications. It's always exciting when we can see um, in-person fat study conference events. Um, the International Handbook of Fat Studies was published by Rutledge in April of 2021. That was a project that I co-edited with fat activist Sonia Renee Taylor. Um, it's an incredible collection. It's got uh, 30 chapters written by a range of activists and scholars from around the world. 
definitely ask your local library to get a copy. And last but certainly not least, one of the really great things that came out of 2021 is the new Vast magazine. Vast is an online magazine from Ash, who you would know as friend of the pod and the host of the podcast, The Fat Lip. This magazine is by fat people, for fat people, about fat people. Uh, it is dedicated to celebrating the brilliance of fat people, and everyone that is involved with the work gets paid. And that's incredible. If you're not already reading Vast, please go do. And if you can, send some money their way so they can continue doing the great work that they are. So those are my highlights for 2021. What were yours? Joining me today is Susan Hill, a professor of religion at the University of Northern Iowa. Susan, thank you so much for coming on Friend of Maryland. Well, thank you for inviting me, Kat. So, Susan, tell me a little bit about your area interests of scholarship. So, I am one of the few people, actually, who does work on ideas about the fat body in the ancient world. I wrote a book a while ago called Eating to Excess, The Meaning of Gluttony and the Fat Body in the Ancient World. And that is where a lot of my scholarly interest lies. So my I got interested in this topic in a very kind of weird way, which was, you know, a number of years ago, I started really paying attention to the fact that a lot of the discourse about fat people was really moralized, right? Like there was this whole something that I hadn't noticed as I was growing up. And then all of a sudden I started finding all of this language about this. And I thought, well, where does all this moral language about fat bodies come from? And I thought, well, gluttony, right? Like it's a sin in the Christian church. Like maybe that's where it comes from. Maybe there's this whole history of stuff. So I started looking into the history of gluttony and I discovered that in the middle ages, people, a number of pretty famous theologians read the sin in the Garden of Eden as gluttony, that the eating of one bite of one apple was gluttonous. And I thought to myself, well, that's not how I define gluttony, or that's not what people think of it now. So how did this happen? Where did this come from? How did people think about gluttony when it started, right? When they started, you know, formulating it as one of the seven deadly sins. And so that just took me on a whole long process of learning about how they, how people thought about it in the Western, in in the ancient West, right? How people were thinking about this idea. And so that's what really, and I'm still fascinated by it. I still spend my time thinking about that, this kind of thing and looking at how people read the ancient world, trying to figure out how ancient people thought about it. That's what I spend my time doing. I mean, I, I think that's a very excellent use of your time. Um, <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, you know, I think it's definitely um, a, the area of like fatness and spirituality um, is a relatively kind of new one. 
um, in a lot of ways in the sense of I am aware of others kind of doing work in that space. Like Nicole Morgan um, is a um, a Christian fat activist that, that does work in that space. Um, um, Minna Bromberg. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, is a um, Minna Bromberg is a, a, a Jewish um, scholar, you know, doing kind of work in that space and stuff. Um, so th- it's, it's interesting. And obviously, I mean, those are two specific like Judeo Christian, um, you know, spirituality. So obviously it's quite a narrow, <laughs> uh, um, or specific kind of, of looking at that. But, uh, it, it is an interesting and relatively new kind of understanding for me a- around these fields. Uh, and I like, you know, the, the idea of the work that you did in terms of kind of tracing, uh, the, cause the, I would imagine, at least from my kind of perspective, like thinking of fatness and the seven deadly, deadly sins, both gluttony, but also sloth, right? And yes, the sense of fat people, you know, being lazy and inactive and those, you know, so it's a, you know, it's a, it's an intersection, right? Of two of these deadly sins and like how that can help us understand kind of fatness through time. Um, I think is incredibly fruitful because well, I think one of the things that, always kind of just chop, you know, always just ugh, gets under my skin and irritates me is, you know, when people try to pretend that there was a time in history when like being fat was a good thing. And of course, you know, people that study this actually can tell us, well, no, there, there wasn't ever actually that time. And, um, you know, Danish scholar Donna Umlund's done a really good job, at least looking back to like the Greeks, you know, so again, still a white modern, kind of thing that tracing at least back to them to be like, not since then at least. So that's pretty much all of like Western history. Um, I know that you've got a chapter in an upcoming book uh, that Amy Farrell is, is co-editing. Tell me a little bit of, about that work. So this was another, this is another piece on um, the fat body in the ancient world. And when I was trying to figure out exactly what I wanted to do for that piece, I started thinking about how scholars read the fat body in the ancient world. And I, especially thinking about like the Venus of Willendorf and the kind of the fertility figurines, like how those figurines, for instance, always inevitably get associated with fertility There have been feminist scholars who say, well, how do we know this? We don't really have any idea. Like, what if this was the kind of body that was a desirable body in the ancient world? What if, you know, how are people actually thinking about this? And there's always, of course, right, we read the ancient world as we read, you know, it's more indicative of how we think about it than it might be about what they thought. But there is a kind of sense that we are really unable to get out of our own heads and think beyond what we today would imagine these things to be like. And so I really wanted to kind of analyze and talk about, you know, the politics of looking at fatness in the ancient world. And I think the thing that I find really interesting about how people tend to do this is that we are really unwilling, I think, in a lot of ways of saying, of being able to kind of wrap our head around the complexities of how people think about this, right? Yeah, it may be the case that being fat historically isn't always good or ever good on some level, but it's not ever always only bad either, right? Like you can always find 
places where there's there's at least two discourses about what fatness means, at least two ways of thinking about it. Oh, this is a great thing. Oh, this is a bad thing. Um, in all sorts of kinds of ways, like if even in the medical, ancient medical literature, Hippocrates, for instance, he had some very positive things to say about fatness in the sense that there, he knew that there were people who were fat and that they were fine and that they needed a particular kind of uh, regimen in order to be healthy. And it wasn't a regimen that was going to make them lose weight or get skinny. And he knew that there were people who were skinny and they were fine and they needed a particular regimen in order to stay healthy. And it didn't mean to make, make them fatter, right? Like we're, but we're unwilling to see that when people read Hippocrates, they always want to look for, Hippocrates wanted people to go on diets, but he didn't. So I think part of it is we have to just be careful about how we look at these things and how we think about these things. So. Yeah, definitely not making assumptions is something that is always a, a useful tool <laughs> yeah. for all of us, uh, scholar and activist, uh, activist alike. Um, Susan, if there are people listening who are really keen uh, to get their hands on your first book or to, um, you know, read other writings that you've that you've done on on these topics, uh, it, do you have a presence online where they can find you or a specific bookshop that you like to recommend people to? Well, I am a horrible social media person. I'm just going to say that. I do. That's not OK. We still allow you. We still way. like you. Um, I mean, the book is available online. You can find it. Uh, Prager still has it. I think you can still get at least, I think you can certainly get it electronically. I know it's on Amazon. So it is available if you want to get it. The title is Eating to Excess. Um, so that would be, I think I would love to push people to that book because I think we don't spend enough time thinking about how we got to where we are. I love all the contemporary stuff. Don't get me wrong. I think it's really important, but I tend to want to think about, well, how did we get here? How do we think about it now? And why do we think about it that way? So I want people to think more about history too. Well, Susan, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been really interesting uh, to hear more about your work, um, I know I'm definitely excited to check out this chapter, which uh, I don't think Amy's book is going to be out until sometime next year. But uh, it's something to look forward to, which is always good to have. Yes. So, Susan, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again in the future. Well, thank you so much for having me. spotlight today is a piece from The Guardian, published on the 30th of December 2021 by Sam Van Zvieden. It's entitled, For Plus-Size Women Like Me, Dressing for Joy is a Radical Act. Quote, like many others, I spent a significant part of 2021 in activewear. As a plus-size woman, my choice of activewear was somewhat limited. Now that dressing to leave the house is back on the cards, I'm doing it with comfort, joy, and rebellion at the front of my mind. 
I'm a 34-year-old fat woman. I use the word fat with love as a neutral descriptor of my size, and I have felt locked out of the fun of dressing for most of my adult life. I spent years in my early adulthood thinking more deeply about the size and shape of my body than anything happening outside of it. This bought me the privilege of fitting into straight-sized clothes, but it also means that time of my life is a blur of calorie counting, uphill runs, guilt, shame, and punishment. Nevertheless, when I went to loud, sweaty gigs and tiny pubs, I was able to do it wearing fitted tartan pants and a ripped-up t-shirt that told the world I didn't care what anyone else thought. This is the power of getting dressed. It turns your body into a billboard where you can project your values, moods, tastes, and desire. At least, this is the power for thin people. When I quit dieting, I also had to quit expressing myself through my clothing choices. The options available for dressing a larger body, especially on a minimum budget, are few and often poorly made. My beloved band t-shirts gave way to hoodies purely because the sizing was more inclusive. I started wearing loose shirts in the hopes of hiding my belly. Getting dressed shifted from being about self-expression to being about camouflaging my shame. The power of clothes is targeted to plus-size people in particular ways. Here are a few of the main themes. It's part of a weight loss redemption story. It's a product that controls your unruliness. Or you are exceptional. Black used to feature prominently. Now it's more about florals. What is offered in extended sizes from mainstream brands often put ethics on the back burner so that plus-size people are denied the opportunity to put their money where their values are and are forced to opt for fast fashion instead. Extended sizing often isn't carried in-store, so plus-size people must shop online, consult size guides with a tape measure handy, and pray to the online shopping gods and pay shipping instead of wandering into a store like their straight-sized friends. Because I'm a small fat, extended sizing usually includes me. This is not true for people in larger bodies. There's still a long way to go in extending this right to all people. Luckily, local designers are filling the gap. Small designers are coming forward who tailor exclusively for larger-bodied people, providing a personal connection to what we wear and accountability for its production. Some bigger brands are slowly expanding their size ranges as they realize that catering for a broader portion of the population is profitable. I'm learning to dress in ways that make me happy, what's comfortable, what feels good, what makes me feel powerful and capable. Relinquishing the active wear and returning to the office has especially made me question who I'm looking presentable and put together for. While living in active wear, I learn new lessons about clothes and my fat body. For example, I can be comfortable and other people don't get to be offended by that. A big meeting calls for brand new socks. I keep a stash in my bedstride drawer for occasions when I need to feel held and safe. The unworn fibers cradle my arches, and I know I've got this. I swish back into the office wearing palazzo pants, my curly hair large and defined. In a world that demands me to not take up space, here I am. I can move up and down the staircase with ease. I can sit how I like during meetings. I am powerful and capable. I kick intentionally against the lessons I've been handed by unreasonable beauty standards and a biased fashion industry. For example, bellies are bad. The more pronounced, the worse, so hide them. 
mentally scratching up the posts of shame and discomfort, I put a belt around mine and march into the day. Big earrings are joy. Sometimes they explicitly state my message. Other times they're more subtle. A little gold fleck winking from beneath, underneath my hair. Because I live in a bigger body, dressing for joy is a radical act. I'm expressing myself, yes, but I'm also living a mess. I'm also a living message to bigger bodied people around me that says we have the right to take up space too. All the messaging I'm surrounded by tells me that nothing could flatter my plus size body and that excellent clothes aren't made for me. These lessons are wrong. Carving out lessons of our own are power is powerful and rebellious. This summer, I'm dressing fabulously. End quote. Thanks for listening to another episode of Friend of Maryland. Friend of Maryland is brought to you by Manawatu People's Radio, triple nine AM. If you'd like to contact the show with questions, comments, concerns, or suggestions for topics or guests, you can email us at friendofmaryland at AOL.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Closing the show is Alabama Shakes with Gimme All Your Love. So much is going on, but you can always come around. Why don't you sit with me for just a little while? Tell me what's wrong.
support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.